Quote, it looked like a big broken wiener, end quote. No. I think that might be might be copyright infringement. Okay. The, the police, the alien police are going to come for us. Yes, they are. For me in specific, they'll leave you alone. I mean, maybe. We'll see. You'll get off with a stern warning. I mean, but maybe they'll send me a warning by abducting you. Oh, that could be. Yeah, see? Then, then I can be in the show. Then I'll be the missing. There you go. There you go. And I'll be the mystery us. <laughs> uh, nice. Smooth. All right. All right. Uh, hi, I'm Matt. I'm Mel. Welcome to the mysterious, the missing, and the murdered. Let's get started. So I want to start. About half of this is is background information that's that's relevant to to what happened. Um, cool. So I, so I guess I'll just dive right in. Uh, the second deficiency appropriation bill, as it was titled, was passed in July of 1941, which authorized the construction of eight facilities to accommodate the construction of a total of 48 new warships, specialized warships. But what does that even mean? Like, well, what does that title even mean? Yeah, the second deficiency appropriation bill. I think it'll make more sense in a sec. Okay, um, okay, cool. I can wait, I guess. Right, so these warships uh, were, were set for construction in uh, Northern California, or I'm sorry, North Carolina, England, California, specifically South California, Massachusetts, Georgia, Virginia, Texas, and Oregon. This brought what was known as the LTA, or Lighter Than Air, equipped Navy air stations to a total of 10 stations by 1943. A total number of LTA warships uh, was later increased to over 200. LTA warships... Like that's some false advertising there, though. There's no way that they're actually lighter than air. Uh, well, that's the thing, because LTA, <laughs> lighter than air warships, or dirigibles, are in fact blimps. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> I could not have been happier with where this is going. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> yep. Um, so, of course, in December of 1941, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, um, forcing the U.S. officially into World War II. In the nine months since then, Japanese submarines had managed to sink over half a dozen Allied ships off the, co off the California coasts. Yikes. Japan's most famous combat sub, the I-17, even managed to bomb the largest oil drilling facility ever constructed off California's coast at the time. This was the first time since, uh, this was the first time since the War of 1812 that that the U.S. had actually been attacked on U.S. soil. So submarines were were a problem. Um, yeah, sounds like it. Sounds like they were a nuisance and a pest. Yeah. Yeah, so so I think if you're gonna if you're gonna deal with with boats that swim in in the water as a problem, you should get some boats that swim in the air, I think. <laughs> that seems that seems reasonable. Uh, in response to to all of this uh, awful submarine activity, in response to these all of this, yeah, these these waterships, right? Um, in the spring of 1942, two L class and two TC class airships were officially put into service for anti-submarine spotting in Moffett Field. I don't really know what the classes mean, but I know they're big. Um, okay. Moffett Field is near Sunnyvale, California, just outside of San Francisco. Uh, like Moffett, like as in 
the writer for Doctor Who Moffat? Yes, M O F F E T T. Yeah, yeah, Stephen Moffat Field. Um, okay, cool. Let's go with that. That's fine. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, yeah, no, it it started off it started off good and and then went a little off the rails and eventually uh, became a cult classic because it was just so far off the rails. Uh, the airships were always, at a minimum, equipped with two three hundred and twenty five pound Mark seventeen depth charge bombs, which were mounted on external munitions racks, and a thirty caliber machine gun with three hundred rounds of ammunition. They were also equipped with radios, binoculars, um, other sighting devices and navigation devices, and a parachute for each of the two men crew that piloted each ship. I totally thought you were just going to stop with, like, and parachute. Nope. Like, they had a fight for it. Only one person gets off. That's the only investment that they have. It's just they spend too much money on the bombs and torpedoes, so they could only afford one One, parachute. Right. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it's a, like, I I don't really know why you would ever parachute out of a blimp anyways. Like, what, (laughs) what kind of of blimp failure would, would would necessitate abandoning the blimp? Like... Aren't you going to fall slower even in a sinking blimp than you are with a parachute? I don't know. Didn't that one, like, blow up? So there was the Hindenburg. From the gas? There, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but but this was, I mean, this was, like, World War II. So I think I think most parachutes at this time, or parachutes, I think most blimps at this time had, were helium. I know I know the L-class blimps specifically were helium. Um, oh, okay. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I guess. Um... So, one of these L-class blimps was U.S. Navy airship L-8, or Love-8, as it was known over the radio. Uh, when the L-8 moved to Moffett Field, it was put under the command of Lieutenant Ernest DeWitt Cody and Ensign Charles Ellis Adams. Both men were Navy veterans and experienced pilots. The L-8 so blimp- they're a couple of badasses. Yeah, they're a couple of- well, one's okay. more badass than the other, but yeah, no, they're, they're a couple okay. of- they're a couple okay. of- we'll get there. Yeah, experienced American gentlemen, right? Seasoned. Right. Well-seasoned. Right. Ernest Cody and Charles Adams. Uh, you know, they're- these are- these are- these are snooty boys, right? Er- okay. Er- Ernie and Charlie. As- bougie boys. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're bougie boys. Ernie and Charlie, as- as- as we'll call them from now on. I have them by their last names. Because we're friends. Yeah. Right, right, but we're friends with them. Um, and ma- <laughs> you know, maybe maybe we are friends with them. Maybe we know them in real life. We'll get there. Uh, the L eight was originally part of uh, Goodyear's fleet of advertising blimps. This oh a- my god! Of course, <laughs> this, a fucking course. <laughs> this was a Goodyear blimp that was purchased by the Navy. Uh, with hey, a- like we just need to borrow this for a little bit for right. the war effort. <laughs> War's on. It's blimp season. Um, with a helium capacity of one hundred twenty three thousand cubic feet, the L eight was one hundred fifty feet long, um, and a very. Uh, this is like the the typical build or the typical shape of a blimp um it's it's similar in build shape and size as any blimp that you would see over any stadium today uh, for the record there's less than 10 blimps functioning left in the world Isn't like that... from this time period or just at all like right now like right now there's less than 10 functional blimps in the world at all i mean i don't really blame <laughs> society for that though they're kind of pointless i know but it, it kind of makes me sad like i'm not <laughs> sure why <laughs> Blimps like you're like they're an endangered species. We need to save them. Seriously, they're like I don't know. It's like 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 Bioshock Infinite. You know, like you know, it's like this this magical steampunky world of blimps, and it's like oh, the magic's dying. Yeah, um, I mean that's that's what growing up is, isn't it? The magic dies. I guess we all we all have to lose our blimps someday. <laughs> um, 
So it was it was powered by twin 145 horsepower engines and had a maximum cruising speed of 43 knots, which is I mean it's pretty fast, like 45 miles an hour in the air. Um, Lieutenant Cody graduated. Uh, the commanding officer of the, of the blimp, uh, Ernie Ernie Cody, uh, graduated from uh, Annapolis Academy in 1938, so just four years before this. And was called by one of his senior officers as one of the most capable pilots and one of the most capable officers under his command. However... Does it really take a great pilot, though, to pilot a blimp? How hard is it to pilot a blimp as compared to other aircraft? Yeah, I know, right? Like... Like, I'm just, I'm just wondering. I'm not trying to throw shade on him, but... It's a big balloon. Like, like... <laughs> right, like, I'm just saying. Anyway, continue. Like, you can turn off the engine and you won't, you won't die. Right, like... <laughs> right, right, you'll just kind of glide. Right. It's cool. Uh, right. So, um, uh, however, Lieutenant Cody was, in fact, not a, a blimping veteran. Uh, he wasn't officially <laughs> designated as an LTA pilot until December of 1941, just after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Uh, Cody had a mere 756 hours of LTA flight time, which, in any vessel... Um, if you talk to any pilot, you'll know is a horrifically short amount of time to suddenly be in command of a ship. Um, I'll believe you on that. Like, I, I assume... have no concept of these things. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I'm actually, I'm gonna look it up real quick. Um, uh, minimum flight hours for a commercial pilot license. Uh, the US FAA imposes a minimum of 21 years and 1,500 fly, flight hours. <laughs> Holy shit! Uh, for for commercial co-pilots, that's not even not even not even head pilots. So you need at least fifteen hundred hours to be a commercial co-pilot, and you need to be over twenty-one, which is yeah, seven hundred and fifty hours is just like that's not much, right? It's like, like thirty-one days. It's like right. thirty-one solid days, which, right. given the nature of what you're doing, seems it seems like yeah, a lot. seems light. It seems light, but it also seems like a lot to be in a blimp. Uh, right <laughs> um i imagine that like i like to imagine that like pearl harbor was bombed and everyone was just like we need more blimps guys cody cody you need you, we need blimp men you want to be a blimp man you're a blimp man congratulations like you don't really have a choice like right. congrats you got the job well, cody get out there you're a blimp man now congratulations right exactly right um well technically his his direct report the other pilot uh, ensign i keep forgetting his first name charlie charlie of course uh, Ernie and Charlie. I'll remember that. Um, I mean, really, you uh, could just replace Charlie with Bert if it's easier. Right, right. Ensign Charlie Adams. Uh, Bert. Um, <laughs> called Bert for short. <laughs> <laughs> Bert and Ernie, they called him. Not sure why. Um, <laughs> uh, he had significantly more LTA experience than Cody. Uh, he actually um, had uh, 2,281 blimp flight hours and was an experienced Navy pilot outside of that. He had uh, he was a twenty year veteran of LTA vessel, so he was a twenty year blimp veteran, um, and was even decorated by the German government in nineteen thirty seven for his heroism for his efforts to save the victims of the Hindenburg. While the Hindenburg was crashing and burning, Adams risked his life and ran into the fire to save the victims of the crash. Uh, in short, he was a blimp expert and a navy hero. Uh, oh, okay. Right. So this guy was like at the Hindenburg. And, like, was decorated by the German government two years before we went to war with them in World War II. Right, I was just going to say, that's not really, like, irony. I mean, it's, like, Alanis Morissette irony, but there's definitely something there. Right, there's there's some some weirdness there. Um, 
But the that that little German connection is is interesting as well. Um, however, Lieutenant Cody made himself known in the blimping world. In February of ni- uh, Lieutenant Cody, uh, uh, Ernie had also made himself known in the blimping world. Uh, in February of 1942, with less than 500 hours of flight experience, Cody managed to fly the L-8 Steady um, over. Uh, an aircraft carrier's flight deck in rough seas to deliver crucial B-25 bomber parts uh, for Colonel Doolittle's famous air raid of Tokyo. Um, this, like, current, like Doolittle has, like, restaurants in Minnesota named after him. Like, Doolittle is, like, one of the most famous, um, I, I, I don't know if he was a pilot himself, but he was one of, like, the most famous commanders of, of Air Force, of the Air Force in World War II. I don't know that much about him, but... Which is, yeah, kind of weird you saying that there are restaurants in Minnesota named for him, because I have never heard of this guy before. You've never been to Doolittle's? We should go to Doolittle's sometime. It's kind of bougie, but it's pretty good. Okay. Well, we'll we'll say it's for research. It's for research purposes. Totes. Totes. We can expense it. Um... (laughs) Uh, for this, he was promoted and given... For for his heroism, uh... Of not landing this blimp and delivering these bomber parts in time for hovering for hovering in uh, a thing that hovers uh he was right. pro- he was promoted to uh to junior lieutenant and given command of the l8 when it was reassigned to moffett field and so begins our our story on the morning of august 16th the l8 was scheduled to take off on a normal patrol route from treasure island in san francisco bay uh, in search Wait, of... Treasure Island is a real place? Treasure Island is a real island in San Francisco Bay. I don't know where it is. It's Dang, somewhere... okay, the more you know. I know, right? Um, is there treasure? Uh, I think the real treasure is friendship. <laughs> the real treasure is the journey and the friends you make along the way. On your blimp ride, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so so at this time, Treasure Island uh, functioned as a... As a base a launching pad for for the l class and tc class blimps uh when they went on patrol to search for japanese submarines uh this was flight number 101 uh and it was scheduled to fly to the to the Farallon islands roughly 20 miles west of san francisco turn north to point reyes and then turn south to monterey or montera beach and return to treasure island the roughly 110 10 mile journey typically took four to five hours depending on weather and winds and was scheduled and the, and the L-8 was scheduled to return between 10 and 10.30. At 6.03 a.m., the Love 8 disembarked and began to head away from Treasure Island. Lieutenant Cody was at the helm and it's... in casino! Oh! Yep. Um... Lieutenant Cody was at the helm, and Ensign Adams acted as the spotter. At 7.38 a.m., after only an hour and 35 minutes on patrol, Cody radioed his position at four miles east of the Farallon Islands, four miles inland. Slightly off course, but well within a normal heading. Four minutes later, at 7.42 a.m., Cody radioed again. I'm investigating suspicious oil slick. Stand by. Oil slicks were often signed. Mm, dun dun dun. Yes, oil slicks. Mm, was gr- it an alien oil slick? It, it was. There's a no. There was actually just a greaser surfing. Um, <laughs> he was like false alarm, false alarm. Right, right. No, uh, oil slicks were actually often signs of navy of enemy submarines. Uh, this was right. Obvi- I hear you. Right. This was obviously the bef- before the days of nuclear subs. So most subs ran on diesel or some form of other awful fuel. Um, 
a sub in enemy waters could go weeks and months without dry dock surfacing, so Alia leaks were, were pretty common, especially in, in seawater. Um, as such, stationary, a stationary oil slick was often uh, a common sight around boats of pretty much all kinds, but was a really good sign of, of an enemy of an enemy submarine being there, or of a, an enemy ship recently passing by. Um, the L-8 dropped two what were called flight, flight lights, uh, which are smoke-producing flares to signal the possible presence of an enemy vessel, and began a detailed survey of the area, circling the spot. Uh, the ship, the, the Liberty ship Albert Gallatin, uh, that was the name of the ship, uh, was apparently a merchant vessel that was equipped for skirmishes uh, with, with enemies, um, I'm not sure. I, I, apparently they just armed merchant vessels during World War II. I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, times were tough. It I was get, literally a world war, man. You gotta do what you gotta do. I mean, that's a good point. Um, but they, they spotted the float lights that the, that the LA had dropped, um, uh, signaled the general alarm and then manned its, its guns, what guns it had. Uh, fishermen and sailors in the area pulled in their nets and began vacating the area, fearful that the Love 8 was about to depth charge an enemy sub. Um, so everybody's just like, oh god, flares, they see these smoke flares, and everybody's like, let's get the hell out of there. Right, they're like, bye. Right. Like, pack up their shit into a little tiny suitcase and just like, get out of there. I want none of this. Peace. Um... So the uh, a nearby fishing ship, the D- the Daisy Gray, as the ship was called, uh, pulled in its nets as well, but didn't leave the area. They stuck around because they wanted to see the action. And I gotta say, I probably would have done the same thing. <laughs> You're like, can't blame them. <laughs> right, like there, there's Me a too. <laughs> right, like there's a blimp about to, a bomb submarine. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick around. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm not gonna miss this. Um, the crew of the Daisy Gray observed as the uh, Love Eight circled the area again and again and again and again. It was actually circling the area for more than an hour at an altitude of about 250 feet. Um, after just more than an hour, the L-8 dropped to an altitude of about 30 feet above the waves. They got really close to the water. Um, They're like, I'm not seeing anything, <laughs> sir. And he's like, well, fucking get closer then. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, like, like they just like were like, hmm, can't see anything. Again and again. Like, an hour. Like that's a that's a really long time, right? Like, you okay there, dude? Like, is this really the best choice to make right now? But you know, what do I know? I am not a blimp expert. Right. I have not hunted for enemy vessels. Right. I guess maybe they were in the waters. I guess. <laughs> right. Maybe they were like waiting for like signs of movement. I don't know. Um, but the uh, the Daisy Gray's crew. Uh, oh, I'm I'm sorry. So the Love Eight. Uh, Descended to a, an altitude of about thirty feet, and then circled, uh, circled the the spot for for a few more minutes. Um, the days. I heard say like a few more hours. Right, a few more hours. Then. <laughs> at at seven fifty p.m., twelve hours later. Uh, no, the the Daisy Gray's crew was later interviewed, and several men confirmed seeing two men aboard, one with distinctly dark hair, as the L eight made its descent. Uh, no uh, observers made mention of seeing the men or anything else while the L-8 about, hovered above the water, however. Uh, they, they mentioned not having visibility to the cabin after it was above about 30 feet above the water. So they saw two guys in the cabin as it was descending, one guy with really dark hair. They actually made mention of, of how dark his hair looked. How dark was his hair? Dark as fuck. It was real dark. Um, it was real dark. It was so, black hole dark. It's like a weird thing to mention. Like... I know, that's like a really weird detail. Like, his hair man, 
Right. Super dark. <laughs> yeah, I don't. And I, I couldn't find pictures of, of, of Ernie or Bert uh, or Charlie. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, so I don't, I don't know if, I don't know what hair color they were, but one of them had to have, have had, have, had to have had dark hair, I guess. Um, or it was aliens. Right. Or it was aliens. Okay. Uh, anyway, continue. <clears throat> yeah. So after its survey, um, the LA just suddenly, like after a few minutes above, above the, uh, above the water, the LA dropped its ballast, rose high into the air and had set a bearing straight for San Francisco as far as the Daisy Great could observe. Um, now, at this time, it wasn't uncommon for airships on, on missions like this to to only make radio contact when either changing course or sometimes, like, not at all if nothing was nothing was wrong. Um, if they just circled and saw nothing or didn't do anything, they might never make radio contact. So radio silence wasn't really that big of a deal. But since... Right. Right, right. But since Ernie had noted an oil slick, <clears throat> it was... They were waiting for the follow-up. <clears throat> right, they were waiting for, like, well... Was it like something, or like did you False just alarm. right? Was did somebody just like like spill some Doritos or something? Like did you just like have a smudge on your binoculars? What was it, man? So right, uh, squadron headquarters uh, officially acknowledged the radio silence at eight twenty a.m. Uh, this was thirty-eight minutes after the last broadcast about about the oil slick. Um, now, the, at, and now remember, at 8.20 a.m., this was when the blimp was still circling. They had tried to get in contact with the blimp, and they never responded. Hmm. Suspicious. Right, it's a little weird. So they, they tried to contact the L8. The L8 just, like, turned off the radio. Just gives them the finger. You know, yeah. Just like, fuck off, we're busy. Uh, kept, kept circling, and then at about 8.40, they took back off and, and, and headed for San Francisco. Um, at 8.50, because there was still radio silence, two float planes were sent on patrol to search for the silent blimp. Uh, an avian Air Force All Points Bulletin was sent to be on the lookout for the Love 8. Uh, it would be almost two hours before the next sighting. So about two hours later, at 10.49 a.m., a Pan American Clipper pilot radioed Moffett Field to say that he'd seen the L-8 over the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> right. Uh, like he, I found your blimp. It's here. It's it made it back to San. Fr- this is weird, guys. Um, right, like good news. It didn't crash. Bad, bad news? news. I have no idea what the fuck it's doing. Right. Um, he reported that the ship looked in working order and appeared to be under control, altering its heading intentionally for, uh, or I'm sorry, towards Treasure Island. It actually turned north and started to head towards Treasure Island, but it never arrived at Treasure Island. Uh, the next sighting was 11 minutes later at 11 a.m. when one of the float planes sent to search for the airship spotted it high above himself. <laughs> <laughs> it just that's so comical. Like, you look to the left, you look to the right, have a sinking up. feeling, look up. Aw, uh, guys. <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> I found I think it. I found the blimp. <laughs> um, like, Jerry's just drinking again. You can ignore him. Like, no, really, it's up there. Right, I see it. I'm going to move out of the way, I think. Um, (laughs) So it was rising through overcast at nearly 2,000 feet, uh, eight miles off the coast of California. So it was over the Golden Gate Bridge and then turned around and headed eight miles west somehow. Or northwest. And like straight up. 
and like straight up like a half a mile in the air which like this is world war ii these float planes are literally biplanes jet engines don't exist like right that shit feet. is not meant for upper atmosphere travel right. <laughs> right like like so it was going through clouds at 2000 feet eight miles off the coast uh, a few minutes later it was reported to be rapidly descending and disappearing down into altitude or low altitude clouds at about 1500 feet but like what's rapid for a blimp yeah i don't know i couldn't i couldn't you know what i mean like i need i feel like i need (laughs) like i need more information there like it was it was rapid enough that they said rapidly descending but not (laughs) rapid enough that they said crashing okay okay (laughs) that's fair i'll buy that right right um nothing indicated that the ship was not under controlled flight it appeared to be changing direction with intention, in direct contrast with wind patterns, and was ascending and descending under what appeared to be its own control. Now, 2,000 feet was just under the maximum cruising altitude of the L-class airships. Uh, they were equipped with a safety mechanism that released gas as soon as the bleep, uh, the blimp reached a certain altitude. <laughs> the blip, the blip reached a certain altitude. Uh, the blimp reached a certain altitude, um, just above two thousand feet. It was based on atmospheric pressure, so somewhere above two thousand feet, some safety valve would go because the pressure inside the bladders would get too high, um, and they would release gas that would prevent the bladders from rupturing. Um, but again, the float plane pilot reported that the blimp was under control, human control. It was not descending in a matter that would suggest that the safety valves had opened or would indicate a mechanical failure. It was just descending. Um, next, the L-8 was spotted by an Army P-28 pilot near Mile Rock, again heading in the direction of Treasure Island after being eight miles off the coast. So it was headed back to inland now. As I understand it, Treasure Island is pretty close to the coast. It's not eight miles. So Got you. Okay. So the blimp made it to the Golden Gate Bridge, went like northwest way out into the water, and then back towards Treasure Island as far as this it's pilot. It's kind of like an extreme course correction. You know, I feel like it's when an old person is behind the wheel of a car Right. And they're trying to, like, super dramatically, like, pull into a parking spot. And, you know what I mean? Like, they go, like, way out, like, into the other row of parking spots. Right. And they, so they can, like, turn and get in. <laughs> right. And then they, like, miss the spot anyways and then have to, like, back up seven times. It's, like, work right, their way Right, or even better, in. they just say, fuck it. Right. And they just get out of their car while they're, like, parked <laughs> over the lines and, like, skitty wampus yeah. in right. the parking spot. And they're, and like, it's fine. And this will do. Hmm. Exactly. That, so that's exactly what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. To this blimp. Okay. Yeah. No. It's just like it's just it's just ducking and weaving. It's like this is a drunk blimp, right? Right. This is a very drunk blimp. blimp. You're drunk. Get down from there. Right. Um. So let's see. Uh, where was I? Ah. So a few minutes after 11 a.m., off-duty seaman Richard Quam. Uh, on his way, terrible last name. <laughs> right. Se- I'm sorry, Richard. Right, Seaman Seaman Dick Quam. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> like you can't tell me that he did not get made fun of for that. Oh yeah, boot camp must have been hell for him. Yeah. <laughs> Seaman Penis Quark um, <laughs> was was headed for a day at the beach when he stopped his car along the California Coastal Highway and noticed a very interesting sight. 
because he noticed a rather interesting sight, rather. The Elite was casually floating toward Treasure Island, but something was amiss. The blimp appeared to be bent in the middle. Uh, (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah. This is the only official account of any issue, uh, of any sighting, reporting any issue with the airship while it was still in the air. Quam also noted that he saw movement within the pilot's nest. Because of the unusual sight, he made sure to snap a picture. His film would... I gotta take a picture of this, he says. Yep, he made sure to snap a couple of pictures. Um, he also mentioned that the blimp was close enough to him that the pictures would have almost surely made out what was in the cabin. Uh, again, he, mo- he noted movement within the pilot's nest. His film was later confiscated by authorities. Just after... I really a- hope that in that case you don't have some, like embarrassing photos on the rest of that reel oh man i was the last two pictures the first 28 were dick pics oh god (laughs) (laughs) right like oh my mother finds out about this you guys aren't gonna give that to the paper are you i know this is kind of a big story but there's a lot of dick pics in there right i mean mean, can you guys how did that work i mean was I mean, was it common? Here's what I want to know. Maybe this is a separate project we can work on. Did people used to, like, take pictures of their dick and just, like, hand out parties or, like, mail it? Like, I don't know. How did the dick pic work you gotta before wonder, you You gotta digital. wonder, like, how many genitals the people that used to work at Kodak shops saw. <laughs> right, to process film saw. And all the weird shit they saw where they're like, this isn't illegal, but I'm uncomfortable looking at it. Right. Like, yeah, yeah I don't. I want to know someone that used to work at, like, a Kodak or, like, a... What are other film companies? All I know is Kodak. Kodak, uh... Kodak. Isn't Panasonic one? Panasonic? Doesn't sound right. That sounds made up. Yeah. I mean, Panasonic is a real thing, but they make, like, TVs. Oh, yeah. Okay, true. (laughs) I don't know, man. But I'm just saying, like, these are the things that haunt me. Yeah. No, there's... Like... And, like, like, how did you used to take dick pics, like, back when you had to sit still for, like, 45 seconds? Like, that had to be hard. <laughs> but it's... <laughs> okay, anyway, <laughs> uh, on that note. <laughs> uh, so, uh, let's see, the blimp... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, the footage, man, the footage. Yeah, his, his film was confiscated by authorities later that day. Just after 11.15 a.m., uh, about 15 minutes after after Dick Kwan saw it, uh, the Elliot was spotted again uh, in the bearing of Treasure Island. This time by a lone swimmer on Ocean Beach or uh, at Ocean Beach near San Francisco. The day was overcast, which is explains why they were the lone swimmer there. Uh, the, right. bl- the blimp was at an altitude of 50 feet and meandering slowly, its motors running silent. Uh, the blimp finally made its move inland at that point, uh, whether by its own power or a gust of wind is unknown. It touched down briefly on the beach, bouncing uh, <clears throat> once or twice, and then turned inland again. Its gondola hit a small hill east of the beach, uh, seizing its starboard engine with dirt and mud. The impact also caused one of the 325-pound depth charges, depth charge ordnance attached uh, to knock loose and roll down onto the beach. The bomb, oh yikes! Not... Like some kid is like, "Mom, look what I found!" <laughs> right. Uh, the bomb, although not Stop armed. Stop picking up strange things, Jimmy. <laughs> Uh, 
so there were a few sunbathers on the beach. There was only one person swimming in the ocean who actually like noticed the blimp first, but there were a few people sunbathing on the beach. And the on this lo- overcast day. On this overcast day in California. <laughs> it's California. Hmm. I mean, it's overcast Cal. Like it's it's California, man. Like even overcast, you're gonna get burnt. Like. Right. Okay. Fair. I guess. That sounds nice. Plus, this is like I think this is like prime smog season, or maybe that was <laughs> that was that was probably closer to the seventies. But yeah. But there had to be like war machine smog from like steel foundries and stuff in in LA Right. Maybe like it. submarine smog. <laughs> right. There's oil slicks in the air. Um, <laughs> right. Um, so the, anyway, the bomb rolled downhill, like down this hill, you know, like beaches have hills and stuff. I I think like the blimp hit one of those hills on the beach that like, you know, borders a beach with like grass and stuff. And they just like dropped the bomb and it rolled like, like a, like a 325 pound big ass bomb just rolled onto the beach and, and, (laughs) and a bunch of sunbathers just went running. Um. So, suddenly unburdened by roughly two men's weight worth of explosives, uh, the L-8 rose quickly into the air uh, and disappeared from sight from the sight of those on the beach. Um, so, today also happened to be uh, a Sunday morning, um, a popular day at the San Francisco Olympic Golf Club. Um, uh, this was a club that was about a half a mile inland from, from Olympic Beach. Um, I'm sorry, Ocean Beach. Um and also just happened to be the direct heading of the L-8 blimp. Um, oh, those old white people better run. Right. So, likely because of the three hundred, the, the remaining 325-pound bomb that looked like a bomb uh, that was in plain view on the bottom of this blimp, literally hundreds of golfers that were out that day ran to give the blimp a wide berth as it passed overhead. Uh, one of the club members reported seeing a parachute open and fall from the blimp, but this sighting was never corroborated by anyone else. Uh, because this was a golf course, many patrons carried binoculars. Uh, several of those interviewed reported movement within the cockpit of the L-8. Uh, 17-year-old C.E. Taylor told the San Francisco Call Bulletin, I put my binoculars on it and could see figures inside the cabin. There was like a strange ellipses in the paper. It was, I put my binoculars <laughs> on it and could see dot dot dot. Or, I could see figures dot 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 inside the cabin and i'm not really sure how to read that but it's a little suspicious <laughs> right like what are you selectively leaving out i mean i just i i i interpreted i guess maybe they are leaving something out but i interpreted it as a pregnant pause like oh like he was like I and i it. saw like he puts his hands out waits for a minute figures inside in the cabin, in the cabin. and like winks right yeah, and I don't, I don't know, how, I don't know how to interpret that. Um, so I mean, obviously aliens, <laughs> right? Obvi. Um, so by eleven twenty-five a.m., thousands had gathered to watch the clearly un- now uncontrolled blimp float ever into San Francisco. By the time fire and police had given chase, uh, I'm sorry. By this time, fire and police had also given chase, as well as hundreds of quote looky loos. <laughs> 
That is an amazing term. Yes. I vote we bring this term back. Right. The San Francisco Times called them looky-loos. Um, so on its descent, the L.A. struck several buildings and roofs, uh, causing substantial damage to over a dozen buildings. The ship finally came to a rest at 11.30 a.m. on Bellevue Avenue, crashing into Mr. Richard Johnston's freshly waxed car in Daly City, California, a suburb of San Francisco. You can tell he's bitter about that, too. He died bitter about that. He was shining his car, actually, when he noticed a partially deflated blimp in its reflection and ran inside to protect his mother. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good for him that he ran to protect his mom. I know. Uh, That's very sweet. uh, A photo of the ruined car and ruined blimp is available in the National Archives, and I actually have this blimp here for you, if I can paste it. Let me copy the picture. Uh, Copy. You have the power. No. All right, hold on. Uh, image options. Oh my god. I know this is the worst. Yeah. Um. I see no blimp. I was promised a blimp. I'm so sorry. I just okay. All right, hold on, hold on. L eight blimp crash. Images. Images. Oh, that's a shitty picture. Here's the right one. Oh my god. <laughs> what? You're taking forever. There you go. Uh, don't read that article. Okay. Don't even click the link. Close the link. It's got spoilers in it. Here, let me just... <laughs> okay, okay. I just see the picture. I just see the picture. Uh, okay, yeah, you can see the picture there, but there's what the blimp looks like. Um, <clears throat> so the car is actually under that net, or under the, under the canopy of the blimp. Um, the car that you see ahead, we'll hear about in a sec. Um, oh, okay. Uh, the, the car that you see, like, under the tail fin there. Um, so let's see. Um. So they're like, yo, what the fuck? Nice. And that, okay, that cabin looks pretty damn empty, I'm just gonna say. Right. So is that, like, what we're getting to here, that there's nobody on this blimp? I mean, it's only, it's only piloted by two guys, right? Um. Okay, that's true, I guess. You couldn't have lifted it down any easier than it dropped on Bellevue, said Deputy, Deputy Marshal Sean Wood. Deputy Wood. Um, <laughs> of the Daly City Fire Department. Uh, this was a bit of an understatement, however, as the cabin of the ship had crashed into, again, over a dozen buildings, causing substantial damage. <laughs> right. He's like, well, they weren't my buildings, so. Right. right. And this wasn't my car. And it crushed a car, and it hit a utility pole on the way down, sending showers of sparks down onto onlookers. <laughs> um, onto Lucky Lose. <laughs> onto Lucky Lose, yes. <laughs> um, uh, luckily, what was left of the LA's fuel didn't ignite. The first responder on scene was Johnston's neighbor, who was actually an off duty fireman uh, named William Morris. Uh, Bill Morris's 1928 Dodge was also dented by the tail fin of the L8. I believe that is the car that is sitting under the tail fin that you see <laughs> on the left side of the picture there. He's um, like, hey, that's my car! Right. Uh, as police fire and Morris approach, approach the scene, the first concern was for the pilots. However, the door of the L-8 was already open, and inside they found nothing. Uh, firemen soon encircled the ship and began cutting and tearing their way through the gondola, thinking that the crew must be trapped and injured inside of one of the air bladders. The crash should have been easily survivable for anyone inside. While police, fire, and naval investigators surveyed the blimp, nearly a hundred military personnel were dispatched to search for the missing men and the missing bomb. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. 
the the missing depth charge was found quickly. Um, yeah, I was gonna a... say like one of these things is easier to find than the others. I feel, <laughs> and I feel like it should be the dudes, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I mean, I guess, but at the same time, they're hopefully not like three hundred pounds each. Right, and she's like a bomb. Right, she's <laughs> laying there. Right, like people, you see people on the street all the time. You don't report those to the military. You see a bomb on the beach, you're probably gonna tell someone. <laughs> right. Um. So. Remember, after the ship hit the beach, it was above land, and movement was reported within the cabin as it passed over the golf course. Right, so we gotta assume that at least when it was over the golf course, they were still there. Right. In the blip. A hat, even belonging to one of the crewmen, was found hanging from the flight controls on the radio, uh, and after the crash, or I'm sorry, and the radio, even after the crash, was found to be in perfect working order and was turned on at the time of the crash. No one could figure out how the men who were spotted in the ship (coughs) above and through one of the most heavily trafficked areas of San Francisco could just disappear. The only thing strange, other than the missing crew, was that the LH Reserve (laughs) batteries... (laughs) were completely the only thing strange were these two missing dudes right um rude rude really um the lights reserve batteries were completely drained and part of the fuel supply had been dumped physically dumped probably while they were over the water um so did they like make their own oil spill i don't know like i'll just dump this over the edge look there's an oil spill right so uh Typically, uh, an LTA vessel would only dump fuel or anything critical uh, in order to cut weight in order to make an emergency ascent. You know, dump weight. Like a 2,000 foot ascent. Right. Or something. <laughs> now, the LA's, the LA was never in combat. They should have had, they were never in point in risk of crashing until after they hit the beach, um, at which point they were clearly not under control. So they would have had no need to do that during any point of their trip. Um, the Navy searched extensively along the coast and the flight path of the L-8 and saw no sign of Cody or Adams. After three days, the men's wives were notified that they were officially listed as missing in action. Asked whether the L-8 could have been attacked by an enemy, a Navy spokesman responded, That's very remote. <laughs> um, Moffett Field's commanding officer, Cur- uh, Commander Don Mackey, said he was at a complete loss, quote, a complete loss, uh, to explain the mystery, and a sexman's second spokesman echoed his <laughs> And a sexman said. <laughs> and a sexman said. Uh, a second spokesman echoed his, his assessment. Nothing the Navy knows now has given a satisfactory explanation for what happened. Um... Uh, in the inquiries to come, all onlookers from the Daisy Gray and the and the Gallatin, the fishing and the merchant vessels from earlier, uh, the various planes, drivers, beachgoers, um, and golfers would verify uh, that the L-8 appeared to be manned and under control and fully piloted right up until it crashed into a car. Despite interviewing more than 35 critical witnesses, the Navy was never able to answer the most basic of questions. Why did Adam? Where are my men at? Right, where are the dudes at? Uh, why did Adam stop broadcasting updates if the radio was working? What happened at the oil slick in the Pacific after 7:42 a.m.? And most importantly, where were Bert and Ernie? Right. <clears throat> after a full recovery of the L8's remains, a full inventory was performed. All munitions, binoculars, equipment, and provisions were still on board and stowed properly in the cabin, including both emergency parachutes that's what i was gonna ask because i'm like if there was only like one parachute in there 
Okay, mm. but if they're both in there, then obviously that person who saw a parachute was just making shit up. Maybe. Maybe. Hmm. One theory mm, suggests juicy. Right. One theory suggests uh, <coughs> that men. Uh, I'm sorry. One one theory suggests um, that uh, the men fell from the cabin. Uh, one man fell from the cabin through a door, maybe due to a mechanical failure or a mistake on his part. And the subsequent or a oopsie whoopsie, just a little trip. Right, oopsie whoopsie. And the subsequent shifting weight <laughs> caused the ship to sway and the other man to fall through the open door. However, how could golfers see movement in the cabin if this were the case? How could anyone see movement in the cabin if this were the case? Why weren't they seen falling and their bodies recovered if they fell over San Francisco? And if the Navy was doing such a thorough search of all the beaches, you would think that their bodies would have washed up if they had fallen in the ocean. Did they ever, like, did their wives ever hear from them again? Did they ever, like, show up anywhere again? Nope. Dang, Gina. Right. Now, what if the men had... that'd be, like, a stone-cold thing that he's just, like, flying this blimp. And he's like, you know what? I am sick of these blimps. And I'm sick of these oil slicks. I'm out. I'm sick of my wife. I'm out. Like, I'm are out. you in? And the other guy's like, yeah, let's move to Cuba. And they're just yeah. like, bye. Let's get the fuck out. <laughs> uh, so another another theory would suggest that this same thing happened uh, because the men had a disagreement about rank because the 20-year veteran was reporting to the dude who has less than seven, you know, 750 or whatever flight hours. Uh, but again, why no bodies? And how did people see them in the cabin? Right. My personal favorite theory uh, that I don't know if I believe or not, it's probably untrue, but what if the ship was taken over and boarded by Japanese soldiers from the submarine that they were trying to observe? If agents had boarded the ship, given Adams and Cody to the submarine, and brought their own parachutes, they could have escaped before the blimp crashed into San Francisco and gotten away. That would explain everything, why they stopped broadcasting, and it would explain why that one golfer saw a parachute. Maybe these do Japanese dudes just like jumped off or maybe one guy even just jumped off and then like walked away casually right right but like to what end also aren't they wearing like japanese soldier uniforms i feel like they would stick out right and even like plain clothes japanese clothes yeah they'd be like aren't you supposed to be in an internment camp right now what are you doing out right like something something would be fucky there um so, in 2009, a conspiracy theorist proposed uh, that a new radar system was being developed and uh, poorly shielded microwave radiation caused both crew to pass out and tumble from the vessel. Again, if that was the case, how did anybody observe movement and why did nobody recover their bodies over San Francisco? Um, right. But what if they were testing radar and that's why the Japanese boarded the LA and why they stayed on board for so long to steal this cool new technology? Hmm. Um, okay, okay. Right, and one of, of course one of the uh, one of the most popular theories uh, when you Google the LA Blimp mystery is that the aliens, <laughs> Ali- it's aliens. <laughs> I was like, you have to say aliens. There have to be aliens here, okay? Mm-hmm. I did not come for a conspiracy theory about a blimp to right. not hear about aliens. Yeah, no, it's got to be aliens. Um, one really interesting thing to note, um, especially about aliens. Is that remember good old seaman Dick Quam and his his oh oh yeah his dick pic camera? <laughs> the rest of the pictures on the roll were of aliens. Right. No. Uh. His. Uh. Again, his picture showed the exact state of the blimp as it crossed his path. He noted right. that it looked to be damaged or in some way not fully inflated or correct. It looked to be bent in the middle for some reason, and he could see directly into the cabin. 
So likely the cause of its uncontrolled descent, the state of the craft, and who or what was on board would be in those pictures. Quam's photographs... But the pictures have disappeared! Uh, Seaman Richard Quam's photographs were never released to the public. Ooh. Yeah. Definitely aliens. Yeah. So that's uh, that's the LA, LA blimp mystery. I wonder if you could submit a FOIA for that. A what? A Freedom of Information Act request. Oh, dude. Uh, F O Information Act. L eight blimp. It's <laughs> <laughs> so nobody. Someone. The riddle of the L eight on ske- skeptoid. There's no way that's anything oh. useful. Right. That's not what I wanted. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so homework. We're going to look into how to submit a FOIA request. Right, right, right. right. Okay, notes. We'll get back to you. How do I submit a Frida? How do I submit a request to Donald? Freedom of information, yeah. To, to, to Donald Trump. To get my, my, my blimp info. My, my blimpfo. <laughs> blimpfo. All right. Blimpho. <laughs> oh, God. Man. Yeah, I feel like it's especially suspicious that they haven't released they his have, pictures. Right, they haven't released the pictures. Like, literally, literally dozens of people saw them on board over San Francisco. But after it crashed, it was just empty. Straight up empty. Well, and I wonder how much background on them that were not, that they could have known that they would not release to the public like if there are already tensions between the two of them like if that had been reported that they didn't get along well or something like that because like there's a similar ish instance i know of like these two uh, lighthouse keepers who are on an island for a lighthouse and they didn't like each other and you know Shit ended up happening, and it was like, oh, did the one guy murder the other guy? Like, we don't know, but they didn't like each other, so... Bloops! Um, there was there was one one other thing I read that um, suggested that because Lieutenant Cody was a... Basically, I mean, he he was a Navy veteran. He was, I mean, with the Navy after Pearl Harbor and everything. And with Pearl the Navy. Right. Um, but there was one theory that suggested, you know, he it's not like he was a 20-year veteran maybe he was a japanese spy and he was going to meet his cohorts or something at the time and they like he killed adams and stole the radar tech and then then his navy friends gave him a parachute to escape with and that's how he that's how he got off the blimp that's i feel like it wouldn't be that hard like the blimp doesn't look like it's that secured i mean there's just like a like hole in the side of it <laughs> right. you know like what's that oh let me go look and you just like give them a swift kick in the butt and right they're and gone he's, he's in the ocean right like exactly it's not like yeah i don't it's, it's not like they had cameras on the blimp right like <laughs> <laughs> the blimp did not have a body camera the blimp did not have a body camera but it was bl- turned off at the time right hashtag hashtag uh body cameras for blimps right right um so yeah that's that's my story 